Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Supernatural George. I'm Mittens, and today we're going to be discussing Season 5, Episode 2, Good God, Y'all, written by Sarah Gamble and directed by Phil Sagricia. The literal fog of war descends on a small town in Colorado, and everyone thinks their side is right, and the other side is evil that must be defeated. When in reality, it's all just a game of a powerful being manipulating all the circumstances to make these people believe and see all of this as objective truth. And isn't that just a tidy metaphor for Chuck's entire process in the narrative? Changing the rules, making people see what he wants them to see, making them think they don't have any other choice, and goading them into picking up weapons and running into danger. That's just how he gets things done in his writing process. Obviously, we won't ascribe that to Chuck for many years to come, but it's still relevant because it's always been a theme in this show. I don't have any other choices about the worst thing anyone's ever said on this show. So let's start with the other side of the title's meaning. Good God, because is he really good? Or is he just pulling a bigger version of what War is doing in this episode? Cass is still convinced that God would want to help the side of good, of humanity, of saving creation from those who seek to destroy it. And with Cass already cut off from heaven and those currently in power there, he's primed for a long descent into losing his own faith in God's essential goodness which will honestly drive his entire personal arc throughout all of his choices in season six and season seven and beyond, and losing faith in God and his fellow angels and attempting to do what he thinks is the only right thing he can to save everything that kind of just ends up breaking it all worse instead. So he's being deliberately set up to fail all because of his own choices, but we love to watch him grow going forward into like season 15 when Cass is absolutely unsurprised by the turn of events at the end of season 14 of God never having been on their side really. He's just like, yeah, I was hoping it could be different, but I don't think Cass personally has been able to trust that God was truly on their side going all the way back to this season and his quest for God. So this is an important milestone for him. It didn't take long for Sam and Dean to encounter the first of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. One episode after they realized that they'd really, truly started the apocalypse. Of course, it would be war champing at the bit out of the gate. After this, it'll be nine episodes before we see the next, and we only get death grudgingly after Lucifer binds him to his will. The apocalypse apparently moves in its own time, and with the angels and demons' plans foiled from the moment Chuck dropped in to yoink Sam and Dean onto the airplane, just for funsies, with every passing day, things get more difficult for them to rearrange into the scenario they wanted to happen. Sam saying yes to Lucifer, Dean saying yes to Michael, and getting on with the big final fight already. Because the longer they resist, the more Sam and Dean are able to resist. See, the more narrative scrambling that happens behind the curtain with the book of Revelation in action, the more they hope to be able to push Sam and Dean into playing their roles. Well, not Dean, at least. 
which is why I was so entirely pissed and came about two seconds to rage quitting the show after 1323. But now in retrospect, that really does feel like the moment the narrative broke and I should have known Free Will would eventually lose and Chuck would eventually win. But even then I convinced myself to be okay with it under the mistaken belief that it would mean that Free Will must defeat Chuck's story in the end, you know? That they're breaking the narrative that way, still two seasons shy of the end of the series, meant that they had something to fight back for, something to defeat, not something to ultimately succumb to. That one massive loss should have been, and was honestly, the beginning of their ultimate victory over the narrative. Until 1520 was like, nah, and flipped a switch and we all lost. Uh, Back to this episode though, gosh, I'm sorry. I try not to derail, even though there's a lot (laughs) that I could talk about with doing, I could pick any episode of the entire series, honestly, and just point to it and go, that's why the finale sucked. That's why the finale sucked, like every single episode. (laughs) Anyway, we also have the fallout of Bobby's self-sacrificial act last week, keeping him out of commission this week and going forward. Cass goes on his mission to search for God. The Samulet takes on entirely new meaning and it's nothing good, but at least Jensen has a reason to never wear the damn thing again, because he'd hated having to wear that from the start, because it would always fly up and hit him in the face when he was doing fight scenes or running or anything physical. He was tired of being injured by it, and honestly, I don't blame him. Sam is struggling with the aftermath of a year of demon blood addiction and feeling his own helpless powerlessness without the manipulative certainty that He was in the right that whole time and believed everybody else was wrong. I think it's self-doubt, guilt, and shame as much as anything. And unfortunately for Sam, Dean's distrust of him as a result of everything he did across all of season four is more than he can bear on top of it all. All at a point in the narrative where the characters are still fighting for any agency at all in their own story. They're being as manipulated as the unfortunate people of River Pass, Colorado. Plus, we get Ellen and Joe back for the first time since season two, all so that we can build up to their eventual sacrifice at the mid-season. Hooray! Let's bring back these characters who've been safe and off the stage for two years, just so we can turn them into emotional pain tablets to fling at the boys. All that said, my tag for this episode is remarkably sparse. There is some fun stuff in the bonus contents, at least. There's two promo clips, but also the knowledge that Jerry Wanick had a bit of fun with this one, too. He made himself the Grand Marshal of the Pioneer Days Festival that was interrupted by war. And you can see his little picture on the banners hanging around town. And in a bit of uncomfortable foreshadowing, the washed-out bridge into town at the beginning of this episode is the same bridge where Sam and Dean are reunited in heaven in 1520. This broken-ass bridge of war is supposed to be heaven. Same exact shooting location. It's been used in another episode, too. Except in that version, it was in Apocalypse World, the bridge where Ketch and Dean spotted Charlie about to be executed by the angels. Not really a good bridge, and why they chose to use that for the final shot of the entire series that was supposed to be some sort of 
happy reunion in heaven when it's been used these other two ways is just kind of appalling to me. Anyway, there's a lot of meta stuff I could go into just about that stupid bridge. But again, I would just devolve into complaining about the series finale. And we're not here for that yet. We got to build up to that one. So all that said, let's get right into this one and plow through war that drives the Winchesters apart so that they can begin working towards fixing things again. Along with the reminder that I'm really not as fond of season five as a lot of folks. So hopefully everyone can bear with me as I work through my own issues. And now on to our second Road So Far montage of the season to get us fully caught up again. If the montage music sounds familiar, well, I mean, it's Foreigner. I mean, most people have probably heard this song before. Um, but it was also used in 413 after school special at the beginning of the episode when they go to their first flashback to when they use, went to that school as teenagers. I already have weird associations with that song and the characters from Supernatural. But here we'll have them again. We start off with a selection of reminders from the season four finale. Sam busting in on Lilith, his eyes going demon black and using his demon powers to kill her. Sam's horrified moment of realization that he actually let Lucifer free by doing so. A bit of a history of his blood addiction that led him to that moment, but also the power that it gave him over demons. Dean's accusatory Jones for another hit of bitch blood from last week's episode, as well as Cass coming on with his angel blade out of nowhere when they thought he was dead, killing a couple of angels and saving them from Zachariah. And honestly, wouldn't it have been easier if he'd just stabbed Zachariah too? We also learn from Zachariah that Dean is the Michael sword, the destined vessel of Michael for the apocalypse. We're reminded of Rufus Turner, with the phrase, I'm what you've got to look forward to if you survive. We see Bobby stabbing himself to defeat the demon possessing him and preventing him from killing Dean, and then winding up in the hospital unable to walk. We see Cass branding Sam and Dean's ribs with warding sigils that hide them from every angel. We are then given a blast from the past of Ellen and Joe, and Dean telling Ellen that everything that happened out there was his fault and he's sorry, and then Ellen very angry, Joe wanting to go out and hunt on her own. And then the fight between Sam and Dean that's honestly been going on since the end of last season, where Sam and Dean physically fought and Sam walked out with Ruby to go do what he thought he had to do. And Dean angry last week that Sam chose the demon over him and can't trust him anymore. I just got to say the fact that Sam seems surprised by Dean's loss of trust in him. Like, Sam, you're supposed to be the smart one, you know? How did you think Dean was going to react to the revelation that you'd lied to him for a year about something big enough to actually have caused the apocalypse? Did you think that he would just let bygones be bygones just because it's Dean? You legitimately hurt him. How can he just trust you again? You gotta earn it, babe. But we open the actual episode on Bobby sitting alone in a wheelchair in his hospital room, looking pretty dejected in a little bathrobe and his trucker cap. He's feeling pretty useless now that the apocalypse is on and he can't stand and fight. Sam standing out in the hallway just sort of watching Bobby be sad. Then Dean shows up 
and he's worried about Bobby. It's been three days. Sam encourages him to think that maybe it's time to wrap their heads around the idea that Bobby might not bounce back from this. Dean pulls out the x-rays he's carrying, shows them to Sam. It's the angel warding that Cass carved into their ribs. Dean had himself x-rayed, and the doctors are baffled because, yes, it really is carved into his ribs. Sam's phone rings, and strangely enough, it's Castiel, calling Sam instead of Dean, which is weird. He must not have Dean's number yet. But Cass now needs a cell phone to communicate with them because he can't find them either. They're warded from all angels. So he needs to actually call them to get their location to know where to beam himself over to. At least he's still got that power. Bobby is angry with him because Cass lost his mojo. He's been cut off from heaven, and he can no longer heal. He can't heal Bobby. Bobby's stuck in that chair, and he's not happy about it. Cass is short on time. He's got other things he needs to do, but he also has information that's urgent to share. Their plan to kill the devil themselves is foolish and can't be done, but Cass thinks he has a better answer. He wants to find God. And his framing for that is sensible. He's the one who resurrected me. He's the one who put you two on that airplane. He started all of this. He can stop it. And Cass is 100% right. God could stop it. With a snap of his fingers, he could put all of this to rights. But he doesn't want to. He wants to see what happens. He wants to let it play out and be entertained by it. The naivete of season five in that proclamation, it just makes me double down and love Cass twice as hard. We cut from Sam and Dean's shock and Cass's earnest admission that he's going to find God to the title card, which I think I neglected to mention last week is the splattering blood pool floating in some sort of liquid because isn't it all in their bloodlines that made them the perfect vessels for Michael and Lucifer? And this is where Dean actually has it right. His cynicism is actually useful here, even if Cass can't appreciate that yet. Dean proposes that if God isn't dead, then he's up there kicking around somewhere, and he doesn't give a rat's ass about any of us. And honestly, yes, if there was a God, and he was paying attention... He's enjoying the show, and Dean has understood that far longer than Cass has. It takes him a long time to come to that conclusion. And Dean, unfortunately, has to go through the process of finding faith before losing it again and then finding what he really cares about. Cass is adamant, though. It's a strategic call on his part. If he can convince God to help them, they can win. When Dean tries to dismiss the idea, Cass gets right up in his face. He's like, I killed two angels this week. He's hunted, he rebelled, and he did all of it for Dean. And Dean failed. You and your brother destroyed the world. And I lost everything for nothing. Which is nice that Cass got to get his point across Instead of just being made to feel bad that he can't cure Bobby, like, look at what he's lost. Billions of years old being, lost everything he ever had, killed two of his brothers to save Sam and Dean, defied every order he ever had in order to try and stop the apocalypse, tore up the pages. 
he bet everything on Dean being able to stop Sam and save the world. And they failed. So, yeah, he definitely has a legit complaint here. Dean needs to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. And he does. Cass tells him that he's there for a very important amulet that burns bright in God's presence. And it just happens to be the necklace that Dean's been wearing since the pilot episode. Since he was like 12 years old when Sam gave it to him for Christmas. And Dean's kind of attached to it just because of that. It's like a yoke of his parental responsibility to Sam. And of course, that would be tied to Cass searching for his own lost father, the amulet that was supposed to have gone to Dean's father. But Sam gave it to Dean when John failed to show up for him and Dean was there. So now Cass is going to use it to try and find his own absent father. Symbolism. The fact that it doesn't work in season five because God can turn it on and off like a light switch. Well, there you go. But Dean's been wearing that thing most of his life. He doesn't want to take it off and he doesn't want to give it to Cass. But Cass is adamant. And Dean hands it over with just don't lose it. And Cass isn't going to lose it, but it's going to be a failure. Dean can't recapture his own lost father Cass can't recapture his own lost father. They're both on their own. The amulet is trash. It's worthless. But that's not for another nine episodes. No, more than that. Fourteen. Bobby's parting shot once Cass flaps out is when you find God, tell him to send legs. (laughs) Which, honestly, yeah. We cut from the relative calm of the hospital to... Rufus reloading a shotgun and helping another injured hunter in some sort of battle scenario, it looks like. He picks up a sat phone and calls Bobby. He manages to convey that they're in an all-out war with a bunch of demons in River Pass, Colorado, before all Bobby can hear is more gunshots and the connection is lost. Sam and Dean get there to the broken-out bridge that will be the final spot that they meet at in the series finale. And also the bridge where alternate universe Charlie almost gets killed by angels in the war world universe. This bridge has some freaking heavy baggage. The fact that the section of it where Sam and Dean are standing in the finale is broken and smashed to pieces in this episode just kind of feels right. It makes the finale just seem that much faker. Anyway, they can't obviously cross the one bridge into town, so they've got to hike to Norman Greenbaum's Spirit in the Sky which goes from being extra jegetic to as they walk into town, you can hear it playing on one of the car stereos and they have to turn the radio off to make it stop. But it looks like something awful happened to this town like all at once. There's a car flipped over in the middle of the road. The car that's playing Spirit in the Sky on the radio is just sitting in the middle of the street running with the door open and no evidence of anybody there. After Sam turns off the engine... We are shown that it's supposed to be the Pioneer Days, a big old 75th anniversary celebration with Grand Marshal Jerry Wanuck and rodeo queen Lily Lachuk, who is, I believe, the art director on Supernatural. They inserted themselves in the most creative way possible into this episode. They also pass a gorgeous, looks like about a 67 Mustang, cherry red. If you know that war rides on the red horse, there's your red horse. 
they're inspecting some other horrors, a car that has run over a baby stroller and there's a big splash of blood on the floor by the car. Like, what on earth happened in this town? Someone comes up behind them as they're horrified at this and cocks a gun. They turn around and it's Ellen. They haven't seen her in like two years. She doesn't seem too shocked to see them. She puts the gun down, but walks up to them and splashes them both with holy water before putting the gun back on them. Without a word, she leads them inside a building where they have to cross a devil's trap and a salt line. And as soon as they're both across and the door is shut, she pulls Dean into a hug. She sounds shaken. As soon as she releases Dean, she slaps him across the face. Ellen is mad that Dean never bothered to call her. She's like, I gotta find out you're alive from Rufus? Dean's been back for more than a year, remember? So Ellen is totally legitimately right. And honestly, blame the narrative and Kripke and the writers for deciding they didn't want to keep writing Ellen and Joe into the story at all after season two. But what a way to reintroduce her. They confirm for Ellen that, yes, this is looking like the apocalypse. And she leads them down to a church basement rec room where there's a handful of people, like fewer than a dozen And she explains the situation to them, that the whole town is either possessed, dead, or in this room. And Rufus and Joe are missing. She was out looking for them when she ran into Sam and Dean. They'd already tried to make a run for it once. There used to be 20 people in their little group, and now they're down to the few remaining there. Sam and Dean are like, okay, well, we could arm them up. We passed a sporting goods store. We'll go get weapons and we'll look for Rufus and Joe while we're out there. Once Sam and Dean are out in the little vestibule, Dean stops. Dean tries to convince Sam to stay behind and give everybody in that room, quote, shotgun 101 so that they'll be ready to pick up arms and get the hell out of there as soon as they get back with weapons. And Sam sees through it. He's like, you don't want me out there with demons and dean has to deny it because yeah he doesn't want sam out there with demons but when sam points out that you're just going to do it all alone get guns salt and find joe and rufus that's crazy dean can't do that alone so dean relents and lets sam come with him because he's not about to say to sam's face no i don't trust you around demons or i don't want to expose you to demons because of the temptation which both are true Sam wants to split up and he'll go in the supermarket and grab salts while Dean gets the guns and Dean does not want to split up. He doesn't want Sam out of his sight. Can't we just do this like professionals as if that has anything to do with the problem? And Sam's overconfidence here is about to get him in trouble. Separating is always a bad idea in situations like this. That's how Ellen lost Joe. They got separated splitting up to look for Rufus. So sticking together is the way to go regardless, but Sam's got something to prove here right now, trying to prove to Dean that he is trustworthy, that he can handle this on his own. He, he, really, he really can't. And it's not just because of Sam or who he is or his own failings, but it's the situation. It's the wrong situation to try and prove this because war separates and conquers. That's what war does. I mean, they don't know it's war yet, but they'll figure it out. While Sam's crouched down, filling a bag with rock salt, he hears the front door of the market open with the little bell and sees two demons, he thinks, walking in. They have black eyes anyway. 
They walk around the store picking up what they were there for. Who knows what Sam thinks demons were at a quickie mart for. He tries to do an exorcism and it helps him not at all. The demon still comes after him until he can grab his knife and stab the demon. He looks around for the second one and it's right behind him swinging a baseball bat at him. And Sam manages to stab him through the neck. And if Sam had been paying more attention and being less concerned with fighting off demons and his own inner demons of feeling the temptation to drink demon blood, maybe he would have noticed that they didn't spark out the way they normally did when you stab a demon with the demon knife and that the exorcism did nothing. They didn't die like demons or behave like demons. But no, he's too wrapped up inside his own head to notice that. I noticed though. Sam notices the blood pool coming out from one of the demons he or one of the people he stabbed and is sort of lost in thought looking at it. And he examines the knife and runs his thumb through the blood on the knife. Part of him is probably like, oh, my God, am I drawn to this? And the other part is, would it still work? Would I still be able to power up and banish all of these demons with a thought if I had to? Does that power still lie in me? Could I save all of these people by using this power? I'm not being controlled by the demon anymore. Ruby's dead. This is the apocalypse. If there was ever a time, as Dean told Cass at the end of season four, if there was ever a time to die for a good cause, this would be it. But as he's contemplating this, the door opens again and it's Dean. And of course, now Sam is racked with guilt for even having those thoughts that I ascribed to him and are not in like the script or anything. But it's kind of clear that would be what he's feeling, especially with the look that Dean gives him when he sees him standing over these two dead bodies and the pools of blood. Like, did Sam need to kill these demons? Did he only kill them because of the demon blood? Is Sam trustworthy? Dean just doesn't know yet. He kind of feels at least justified for the we shouldn't split up, we should stick together comment, because that seems totally valid right at that moment. Back down in the church basement, they're having Gun Lessons 101, and War, the guy that we will later find out is War, is playing at being incompetent at handling a gun, which is hilarious. We get to see Dean have a little back and forth with an army veteran who Dean recognizes immediately, hands him a rifle and is like, so do you know how to know your way around a weapon? And the guy dismantles the rifle and presents it for inspection. And it's all very military. And Dean gets that immediately because that's how he was trained by a military father. And he asks the guy where he served. Fallujah, two tours, got back just over a year ago. This poor guy finally gets out of the war and now he's thrown back into it in the worst possible way, but he's ready to serve and protect his country and his town. And he asks Dean where he served. Dean just answers, hell. And the guy's like, no, no, really. Dean's like, hell. And for a bunch of people who've just learned that demons are real, even if the ones they're fighting aren't, the guy is at least willing to believe Dean, even if he doesn't at first. His world just unfortunately got much, much larger today. And I mean, I kind of got to wonder if this guy, Austin, became a hunter after this. Was this his hunter origin story? Kind of a shame we never actually see him again. Dean notices Sam sitting across the room alone, sort of sulking. And he asks him what's wrong. Sam's like, those demons that I killed were possessing teenagers. I had to slit some kid's throat. 
Dean's like, you know, you had to do that to save yourself. And the tragedy of it all is no, they didn't. They're being made to think they're demons. They're not actually demons. So it makes it all of this 10 times worse for Sam. But he confesses to Dean that he wishes he could still save people, that he could use his powers to banish the demons, kill the demons even, instead of having to just kill people. Before Sam can expand on that, Ellen comes over and interrupts. She's like, I can't sit here any longer. I'm going to look for my daughter. If I'm not back in half an hour, get these people out of here. Just go get to safety. And Sam and Dean, of course, are not going to hear of that. Sam offers to go with her and Dean's like, no, no, no. We're going to talk about this privately. Dean's like, no, why don't I go? You stay here. And Sam's like, what, you think I'm going to take one look at these people, these demons out here and fall off the wagon? Is that what you really think? That I haven't learned my lesson? And Dean's like, well, have you? You know, he's already put himself in that situation once. Sam's got something to prove, not just to himself, but to Dean. And he's not doing a very good job of it and losing his shit like this at Dean's very legitimate worries for Sam isn't helping. It's not making Sam seem like the mature grown-up who understands and is willing to work with somebody to reprove himself to somebody he literally lied to and betrayed for an entire year. Maybe Sam needs to take a step back. Maybe Dean is being too harsh. But Dean has expressed his feelings to Sam here. Sam is basically lying and saying he's having no difficulties with demon blood and he's learned his lesson when all he seems to want to do is run directly at them and prove himself. So it seems like the lesson hasn't gone deep enough yet. Sam shoves Dean back against the wall in retaliation for that comment, yet still behaves like a bratty teenager who's getting told to go to his room and think about his choices or whatever, and sulks off, tries to make Dean feel guilty for doubting him or not trusting him now. And it's like, dude, Sam, you're expecting a lot of somebody who you betrayed that badly. But Dean lets him go. And man, watching somebody's sprinkler just run and knowing it's probably been running for days because it was running in the opening shot of the episode when they were walking into town. First of all, this person's going to have a really muddy damn lawn. And second of all, man, that's water wasting, man. Knowing that, you know, however many years we are in the future from this, like at least 10, that Colorado's having serious water issues. Maybe you shouldn't just be running the lawn sprinklers. Whatever. But as Ellen and Sam are out walking together, she asks Sam what's going on with him and Dean. Like, what, did some girl come between you? And I mean, that's pretty dang on the nose if you knew that the girl in question was a demon who lured Sam into starting the apocalypse and freeing Lucifer. But Ellen clearly is not privy to those details yet. Sam chalks it up to, quote, stresses of the job and is surprised that Ellen is still hunting with Joe. Sam's like, didn't you always say she couldn't hack the life? And Ellen replies, she can't, but if she's going to do it anyway. And Sam answers, might as well have someone watching out for her. And that's kind of the situation with Sam and Dean. Dean doesn't think Sam can hack this life anymore. He doesn't trust him on his own, and he doesn't really trust Sam at his back. He feels like he's got to babysit Sam constantly, which is how Ellen feels toward Joe. And it's a parental, protective instinct, even if it's not quite rational. 
They find one house in town that has the fireplace going and smoke coming out the chimney, and they realize there's activity there. But Sam points out that demons don't get cold. What makes you wonder what they're burning? And it's like, or makes you wonder if they're not actually demons. But everyone they see has black eyes. Most demons we see in the show don't keep their black eyes visible all the time. They're mostly normal eyes and only flash their black eyes to let people know they're a demon, which should have been another big sign. Hey, maybe something's weird about this whole situation. As they're casing the joint, they're attacked from behind by a dude who takes Sam down and Joe who attacks Ellen. Ellen sees Joe with black eyes and thinks she's possessed and starts talking to the demon she thinks is possessing Joe. Don't you hurt her. Joe is meanwhile saying something to the effect of, you get out of her, you black-eyed bitch. And that startles Ellen. She's like, wait, I'm not possessed. What is Joe seeing? Is Joe seeing a demon? Joe is startled for a moment as well, and they just sort of stare at each other. And it gives Ellen enough time to take a swing and knock Joe down. Sam tells Ellen to run as he's being hit on the back of the head by Rufus. Ellen takes off. Rufus, who also has black eyes, and yet Rufus and Joe seem to think Sam is possessed by a demon. They take him back inside their house, tie him to a chair in a devil's trap, and interrogate him as if he was a demon, throwing salt and holy water at him. Sam is still seeing them both with black eyes as they're pouring salt down his throat, and he is wildly confused that demons are doing this to him. They're both a little confused that Sam is apparently resistant to all of these methods that supposedly work on demons, but none of them are really putting all the pieces together here. Back in the church basement, there's a banging on the door. It's Ellen come back to share what she has witnessed without Sam. Dean does not know what to do. Does he go out and search for his brother? Does he abandon all of these people who are terrified that something's going to happen to them? He grabs a shotgun and is headed for the door, but stops and looks back. I don't think he wants to find his brother dead or worse, like chowing down on a room full of demons and using his powers or whatever. But in the face of everything he's got to worry about in this moment, He's like, okay, no, we need a plan. We need an actual plan. And he asks Ellen, tell me everything that happened. Just as they're about to spark onto the truth of what's going on back at the church, we cut back to Sam, who is still trying to get Rufus and Joe to stop trying to exercise him. And then he sees the guy from the church basement standing out in the hallway. He's like, wait a second, what are you doing here? He holds up his hand and twists a ring on his finger, and then everything gets worse again. We see from Sam's perspective, he's sitting under a devil's trap that Rufus and Joe are freely able to walk in and out of, but when we see it from Rufus and Joe's perspective, we see that Sam is the one with the black eyes. They think he's possessed. They don't understand why none of their exorcisms are working. But just like Chuck's plan fell apart because he tried to insert himself into the story, War's plan fell apart because he tried to go and insert himself into the story here with Sam. If he'd just stayed put in the church basement with the others, all of this would have gone off without a hitch and he could have just rolled on to the next town. But no, 
He had to be known. He had to be sure they understood it was his war they were fighting, just like Chuck needed them to know that it was his story they were living through. Back in the church basement, Ellen relates to Dean her confusion about what kind of demons these must be. One of them's in Joe. She doesn't want to hurt Joe. But holy water and salt do nothing to these demons. How are they supposed to stop them? Joe wears an anti-possession charm, and I'm assuming Ellen does too. And we know Sam and Dean have them tattooed on them. And Rufus too. Do you think Rufus leaves the house without an anti-possession charm? I doubt it. Dean and Ellen can't really call anyone for help because the phone lines are down. There's no cell reception. They can't call Bobby. And the other person that Dean would usually fall back on is Sam and he's been taken. So the two of them have to figure it out together. Even though Dean knows something's really fishy, he starts at the beginning. He works through this like a methodical hunter should. Rufus came to town following omens. Apparently it was something about water. The priest lets them know that the river ran polluted. The same night that happened, last Wednesday, there was a massive shooting star that appeared over town. The guy didn't even think it was worth mentioning it. But Dean's like, oh yeah, no, that counts, that counts. And he grabs a copy of the Bible and flips to Revelation. Dean finds the relevant passage in Revelation and reads it aloud about a star falling into the river and many men died. And the priest obviously recognizes the quote. He's incredulous, like, are you saying this is about the apocalypse? And Dean has to break it to them that, unfortunately, yes, it is. But that makes everything make sense to Dean. The four horsemen of the apocalypse have been unleashed, and war rides the red horse, the cherry mustang in town. Austin laughs at that, like, you can't think you'd drive a car. And, like, Dean's like, yeah, that's that's how I'd roll if I was the dude. But if he is a dude, and he's here in town... He's probably messing with all of our heads. Dean put all of that together just as soon as he knew about the prophecy and what Rufus was chasing after. Would have been helpful to know that before they came to town, though. Dean figured it out, though. They think we're demons. We think they're demons. What if there's no demons at all and we're all just killing each other? Because war thinks that's fun. Even after Dean works through all of that, the priest is still stuck on, wait, it's the apocalypse? Back at Sam's torture chamber, Rufus and Joe have taken a break, and it gives War a little chance to come have a chat with Sam. He asks the guy, who are you? Then he clarifies, what are you? And the guy's like, you caught me there, as if he'd been trying to hide at all. But the actual Roger, the one everyone in town knows, Sam asks him what happened to him, and War answers that buried him in a ditch probably the owner of that red Mustang, which means that in Supernatural Universe, the four horsemen do not require physical vessels. He just replaced Roger, like invented a copy for himself and took his place, had to bury him in a ditch instead of just taking over his body and walking around in it, which is a nice change of pace. Which is why I don't believe Reaper lore when they try and shift it to be, oh yeah, Reapers possess humans like angels do. No, they do not. Because the four horsemen don't. And Reapers are the children of death. Maybe not like literally the children, but they belong to death. They should function the same way as a horseman. They don't need vessels. So I will never accept that Reapers are angels in that respect and require vessels. 
thank you for coming to my TED Talk, or my podcast, which is like one big long TED Talk about Supernatural. I'm off track again. Back to war. War gives Sam some hints about his identity. I was in Germany, then in Germany, then in the Middle East, then in Darfur. And it's like, okay, well, these are all sites of war. Of course, Sam has figured it out. And also that there are no demons in this town. And it's all just an entertainment for this guy. It's almost exactly as Chuck describes his favorite characters in his favorite story at the end of season 14. War is sitting here literally describing it as destroy a little bridge here, throw a little hallucination there, and then just sit back and pop some corn and watch the show as everybody just kills each other. And isn't that what Chuck wanted? He wanted his favorite characters to entertain him. Sam here trying to say, you're doing all of this. You're causing these people to kill each other. He's like, I'm just jello shots at a party. I'm loosening inhibitions. It doesn't take much to convince people to just go nuts and kill. Just like Chuck was saying, like, it doesn't take much. He's not controlling everybody's actions. He just has to provide a little hint over here and a little hallucination over there and a little motivation over here. And he can convince people to do what he wants. Well, until they realize the trick of the game and they stop complying with what he wants them to do. Once they've figured out what it is he wants them to do so they can avoid doing that. Unlike last season when they had no clue. Unfortunately, they're beginning to learn how the narrative works. War tells Sam, well, you're like my poster boy. And Sam's just like, what on earth are you talking about? And the guy's like, save your protests for your brother. I can see inside your head. And it's one track in there. Blood, blood, blood. So even if Sam isn't physically addicted to the blood, he still wants it. He craves that power. But War pretty much nails him. You want to be strong, but not just strong. You want to be stronger than everybody. And the good intentions he's covering up his true motives with that I want to just save people. I feel helpless to be able to save people. And I miss having the power to do that. Well, he also misses just having the power. War's like, yeah, good intentions. Quick slide to hell, buddy boy. But war is done taunting Sam and he wants the action to start again. He twists the ring on his finger Blood starts to ooze from his hairline. He kicks over a chair and starts yelling his head off. When Joe and Rufus come barging in to see what the hell's going on, War's like, oh, he did it. He said they're coming to get us. They're coming to get us. Austin, who believed that demons were real and then believed Dean when he said he was a soldier in hell, is now struggling to believe that War is a guy and there are no demons in town. When all of a sudden there's another banging on the door and guess who it is conveniently barging in on them. The guy they think is Roger, but is actually war. Roger is primed to protect his people at all costs, regardless of what Dean tries to say. If Roger says he saw demons and they're going to come and kill us and we need to run for it or protect ourselves, no amount of trying to listen to reason or stand back and make a sane plan is going to help them. But of course, War realizes that Dean and Ellen are on to him and tells everybody else, oh my God, look at their eyes, they're demons. And everybody else sees Dean and Ellen with black eyes. So of course, they now have to run for it. 
And that doesn't help this group of people who think they're fighting for their lives against demons again. But at least Ellen and Dean now know exactly who war is. Because these townsfolk aren't shooting at them with rock salt. They're shooting with shotgun pellets. But War is super pleased with Austin and his military efficiency. Back at the other house, Rufus is setting up pipe bombs around windows. And Joe's like, but pipe bombs don't hurt demons at all. And Rufus is like, well, kind of slows them down anyways if they're trying to come after you without any limbs. Joe's like, but one of them's in my mother. I don't want my mother hurt. Meanwhile, the folks at the church are following Austin's lead, armed to the teeth, ready to fight their way out of town. Back at the other house, a pipe bomb goes off. Joe and Rufus immediately go with their guns. It's Dean and Ellen. Dean pulls Rufus through the window. Ellen fights Joe. Except instead of trying to kill each other, Dean and Ellen are trying to stop long enough to talk sense into them. Dean asks Rufus to think about everything that brought him to town. The polluted water, the shooting star, the red Mustang. It's war. And Rufus is like, you're damn right it is. And just keeps punching Dean. And Dean's trying not to hurt Rufus. He's just trying to explain. No, it's the horseman. Rufus looks him in the eyes and the black illusion fades. And he's like, war, huh? Just as they're all on the same page. Dean's like, okay, we got to find war before everybody in this town gets, and then shots come into the house from outside. The church folk have found their hideout and are just going to kill them all unless they can defend themselves or they're going to have to kill all those innocent people outside to save themselves. Either way, it's a bad deal. Plus, there's other people in the house here with Joe and Rufus who are going to think that they're still fighting demons. Dean runs upstairs to free Sam. They're both at the same time like, yeah, it's war. It's not demons. Dean's just like, I just can't figure out how he's doing it. Sam's like, the ring. Because Sam at least got the up close and personal confession from war and saw exactly what he did. Rufus is walking around the house trying to convince all of his people to cease fire because they're not helping the situation. And they're not listening to him. They're defending themselves from what they believe is demons. One guy is still firing and actually shoots the priest running up towards the house before Rufus finally grabs his gun away. It's like, cease fire means cease fire. And Ellen runs outside and the woman who runs to help the priest from the church is horrified at what she sees. She thinks Ellen's a demon and Ellen's just trying to help the priest. And she's like, I'm not what you think I am. Ellen's act of bravery almost gets her killed. Austin's above her pulls her off the priest, and points the gun down at her face. He still thinks she's a demon. When he pulls the trigger, the gun misfires. She grabs it and flings him aside, but he's still got a knife that he's trying to kill her with. She's doing everything she can to fight it off, and, you know, if she was a real demon, she'd have the power to just fling him aside like a rag doll. And I don't think any of these people understand that, or they'd be highly suspicious that these demons are not working harder to protect themselves. Meanwhile, Sam and Dean catch up to war at his Mustang, and he's like, there's nothing you can do against me. Dean holds him while Sam pulls out the demon knife, and he's like, oh, sweet knife, but you can't kill war, kiddos. Dean's like, we know. Sam cuts off his finger with the ring on it, and as soon as it falls off, Austin's horrified to see that Ellen is just a human and the spell over him is broken. And everyone in town now has to suffer through what they have done. 
They may have been prompted by the hallucinations that war inflicted upon them. And the fog of war has now lifted and they have to deal with that aftermath. Half the town is now dead and they did it. They did all of it. Even if they would have never chosen to do any of that without war's influence over them. They still did those things and didn't take a lot, as war said, to push them to it. And that's kind of what Sam and Dean grapple with themselves over the things that they get pushed into doing. We didn't have a choice. We thought we were doing the right thing. We were saving people. We were defending ourselves. Whatever excuse, it's still horrific things that they do. Back to Sam and Dean. Dean picks up the ring, and not only is Roger, War, gone, so's the car. All they've got left is the ring. Later on, Sam and Dean have stopped at a rest area somewhere and just sitting at a picnic table. Dean's looking at the ring like, pit stop at Mount Doom. Yeah, throw the ring in there, get rid of the evil one ring. Sam laughs, but none of this is funny to him. He's really struggling. Sam starts out, I know you don't trust me. And Dean's like, tries to brush it off like, no, 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 let's not talk about this. Sam's like, no, no, I don't trust me either. I tell myself I have good intentions. Like, I saw that blood and it's all I can think about. I convince myself that I'm doing it for good to save people or whatever. But deep down, I just miss the feeling. He's right. He does. He just misses having that kind of power. Whether or not it's to save people, that's just an excuse. But Sam worries there's something deeply wrong with him, that there's something dangerous inside of him. And it scares him how far he's willing to go. And he doesn't think he's in any state of mind to be hunting. He's taking those first steps of recognizing what his issue is. And of course, he turns it and takes it way deeper and way more personally than he should be. And I mean, Dean will have turns. Well, he'll do the same thing and take way more responsibility for his situation than he actually deserves punishment for. And Cass will do the same thing. You know, his whole thing in season eight is about atoning for his sins, you know? And it's like, yeah, maybe, but maybe it's not all your fault alone, Sam. It's good to be able to recognize that it's not just some evil force in you that caused the apocalypse in total, that other forces have contributed to that, and you're important in dealing with it, maybe just a little bit. But now he knows that Dean has got this big role to play. Sam was the one who broke the world, but Dean is supposed to be Michael's destined vessel to kill Lucifer and save the world. I mean, I think Sam a little bit misses having that kind of power in the face of what Dean has just learned about his own destiny. Sam's destiny feels like shit in comparison. I mean, it's going to feel a hell of a lot worse next week when he finds out the other side of the coin that he's the destined vessel of Lucifer, because that's a fate he definitely does not want, even if he feels like, well, of all the angels, that's the one I deserve kind of deal. But Sam's got some issues he's got to work with here, and he wants to step back. He thinks they should go their separate ways. And Sam is surprised that Dean thinks he's right. Dean says he spends more time worrying about Sam than doing the job right. And we saw him have that moment where he almost ran out of that church basement in search of Sam without having any sort of plan. And that would have gone very, very poorly. 
at least when he forced himself to sit down and work through what the problems really were and looked beyond the surface level, when they leap without even looking at all, that tends to get them into terrible trouble. Dean is realizing that when Sam is involved and when he's only thinking about and worrying about Sam, because Sam doesn't even trust himself, why should Dean? He feels like he has to babysit him through every hunt, and that's going to get one or both of them killed. Sam tells Dean he's sorry, and Dean's like, yeah, I know. That's not the issue. Being sorry isn't the issue. Dean, even as a hesitant gesture of solidarity, I mean, he gets it. He doesn't hate Sam. He's just trying to do what's best for both of them. Offers to let Sam take the Impala, which thankfully Sam says no to because I think he realized what a big gesture that was on Dean's part to even offer it. That's Dean's baby, you know? So good on Sam for not saying, yeah, thanks, I need a ride and just leaving Dean there at the rest area to hitch a ride. Sam hitches a ride with somebody and goes off to who knows where, leaving Dean alone at this scenic overlook with nothing but war's ring in his pocket. And that is how the episode ends with Sam and Dean split apart, just the way the narrative wants them to be. It wants them divided and conquered. It wants them vulnerable to the whims of Michael and Lucifer's big battle, where they'll be each be vulnerable to playing their role. But the season's just getting started with them, because next week we'll see how they cope with that. In Season 5, Episode 3, Free to Be You and Me, with some of the most delightful Dean and Cass scenes ever. The fact that they didn't just let Dean and Cass go off hunting like this more often is honestly a crime. We should have gotten more scenes of that. We should have gotten more of Sam and Cass hunting together. We got a couple, but not that many. But honestly, Cass just being involved in their hunts is always a delight. But we will talk about that next week. I think I've already covered most of the meta points from this episode as we talked about it, just comparing War's agenda to Chuck's process of manipulation and sitting back and watching the show fits very aptly with the grand narrative of Supernatural, does it not? Anyway, yeah, at the end of the day, they all should have been able to break free of that narrative and just stop having people spy on their lives. We shouldn't have had to watch them die in order to get that freedom for them. In that way, Chuck did win too. We all still watched their lives even after it was supposed to be over, you know? Anyway, until next week, you can find me on Tumblr and Twitter if it hasn't completely exploded by next week, considering the right things are falling apart over there, at Mittens Morgul or at SPN George. You can find me on Discord at Mittens hashtag 4865. Or you can email me at mittensmorgle at gmail.com. And I look forward to talking to everybody again real soon. And yeah, Twitter's been kind of uh, like watching a disaster unfold all week. It's been fascinating and horrifying all at once. But (laughs) as many times as I've watched the near implosion of Tumblr, this is like a thousand times worse. (laughs) Just because of the magnitude of the disaster of it. Anyway. I said something funny during this episode. I think I'm going to stick it at the end here. Maybe it wasn't funny. Maybe I just thought it was funny while I was recording. Whatever. There might be an outtake. Have a good one, everyone.
And oh my God, as I was recording that, there's a little Christmas deer, like the Swedish deer that's made out of straw all bound together and woven into look like a deer shape or a goat. I guess it's a goat, probably goat, like the Gavelbakken in Sweden. Anyway, there's a little tiny one on my mantle and it just rocked back and forth like it was going to fall over and then didn't. And I'm like, dude, I'm alone in this house. There's not a draft in here. Do I have demons trying to fuck with me? I don't know. Or a ghost. I don't know. But I'm thinking about throwing salt at the damn thing. Anyway, back to this episode. 